What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the Two Man Power Trip. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> ECW World Heavyweight Champion. The ECW. When you want to load down the professional wrestling, come right here to the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You'll get all the load down. <laughs> Well, guys, it's great to be on the, on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. It just You said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. but Chad and John, the two-man power trip. That's uh, that's an awesome uh, name for yourselves. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, John. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, man, what's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie, Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. What's going on, guys? This is a 7-foot, 330-pound DNA of TNA. That's right. My DNA is outer space. And you're listening to the two-man power trip of professional wrestling. You know, I, I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know 10 times more than I do. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. On being a couple of bad apples from Chicago, being the strongest man in professional wrestling, and we ain't gonna let you or anybody else try to ruin our reputation. All these people are gonna see Greensboro not very long away. Who the strongest wrestlers are in the world? Tell them, Hawk. Tony Schiavone, don't you look swell today? Oh boy! Hey! Listen up! There's been a lot of sports writers and sports editors flapping their yaps about us getting soft! Ha 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 Does this look soft to you, Paul? Does this look soft to you? Well, I'll tell you what! I'll tell you what! There's one part of our bodies that's soft! And it ain't soft all the time! If you catch my this meaning. is the two-man power Rick trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by the return of Spartacon. 
Spartacon 2 takes place on Saturday, August 13th, and Sunday, August 14th, 2016. Head on over to the Blue Crabs Baseball Stadium in Waldorf, Maryland for the only dedicated Spartacus fan convention in the United States, complete with live-action gladiator battles inside the arena, exclusive celebrity meet-and-greets with the stars of Spartacus, and so many more unique events. Head on over again to RedSerpents.com for more information on this event and please stay tuned a little bit later on in the show to find out how you can be a part of the return of Spartacon. And of course, my name is Chad and as always I'm joined by my tag team partner, Primetime John Paz and John. Today on the show, we are joined by the one and only Road Warrior Animal. That's right, one half of the Road Warriors, one half of the Legion of Doom, and one half of the greatest tag team of all time. And I did not preface that by saying arguably because they are the greatest tag team of all time. Because these are two guys who redefined what a tag team combination was all about. And you go back before the Road Warriors came and you could throw together guys like the Crusher and the Bruiser. Or you could have big brooding teams like the Mongols. Or you could have the Kangaroos. You could have different teams that had those intangibles that made them such a great duo. But nobody, and I mean nobody, made a greater duo than the Hawk and the Animal, the combined combination of the Road Warriors. And John, obviously, it's such a thrill to have Road Warrior Animal on. He continues this crazy swing of guests that we've had over the last couple of weeks. But since he falls directly into that two-man power trip of wrestling wheelhouse, it's so easy just to talk about the career of Road Warrior Animal. And we are going to get to that in just a minute. But, John, I just want to talk about first the overall impact of the Road Warriors on the tag team scene, the tag team history, and literally how they got into the ring. They changed the way the matches were perceived for a tag team combination. And the impact was felt not just when they came through the curtain, but when they stepped through those ropes. Yes, Chad, back here again for another amazing episode at the two-man power trip of wrestling. And does it get any bigger than this? Road Warrior Animal from the legendary and iconic Legion of Doom. You think back at the tag team division in any era, and you always have those top teams that pop up. Some of the greatest teams of all time. Whether you want to talk about Arn and Tully, Midnight Express, Rock and Roll Express. If you want to talk about the Hart Foundation, Demolition, if you're a fan of the Rockers. I mean, there's so many legendary and amazing great tag teams out there. But do any of them even pale in comparison to the Legion of Doom, a.k.a. the Road Warriors. It's hard to say there was a more impactful tag team out there. I mean, you had legendary teams like the Steiners, who were just absolutely one of the greatest of all time as well. But did they have the impact that the Road Warriors had in every single territory that they went? It's hard to say that they did. Just physically, when they come out in their entrance, their theme song, when they step into the ring, their look, the shoulder pads, the face paint, the haircuts. It's hard to deny the Road Warriors. It's hard to deny the pop that they used to get, the amazing, amazing Road Warrior pop, which is, you know, a, you know, a symbol of them and a symbol of, of what they represent. It's just like, man, what a pop when they came out there. They electrified every crowd that they were ever in front of. 
And they're basically, you think about it, you know, the Hulk Hogan of tag team wrestling. You know, that number one team, that number one guy, the Babe Ruth, the Muhammad Ali, whatever you want to say, that was the Legion of Doom. And that was the Road Warriors. And their impact on the wrestling business is still felt today. And it will go, you know, through history and through the annals of time as one of the greatest tag teams ever in the history of the wrestling business. You know, you talk about that look. You talk about the shoulder pads. You talk about the face paint. You think of the black. You think of the red. You think of the mohawk. You think of the hairdos. You think of everything that brought that intimidation factor to the forefront. But it's what's been going on since the untimely passing of Road Warrior Hawk, where Animal has carried on that legacy of the Road Warriors on his own, somewhat, because if you watch NXT recently, you saw the re-debut of Paul Ellering, a guy who has not been on WWE TV in a manager's role since the late 90s, carrying the Road Warriors legacy and what he brought to the Road Warriors back to WWE television, and that is very cool in its own right. But it's what Animal has done to carry on that legacy of Hawk, of himself, and of what the team brought together that has been very, very special to see over the years. And we've seen incarnations of the Road Warriors trying to come back in different forms. But it's definitely uh, that legacy that he carries is something that he's going to take with him for a very, very long time. Yeah, you know, very, very, very unfortunate Hawk ended up passing away in about 2003 and animals really carry the legacy of the legion of doom and carried the legacy of the road warriors ever since then and boy what a huge load that is to put on your shoulders you know what a legacy to have to carry on with and he's been doing a phenomenal job and if you think years ago they brought him back in the WB and he's with Heidenreich and they ended up winning the WB tag team titles and that was a really really fun run while it lasted. It didn't last all that long but that was a fun run and it was kind of a cool homage to the old school Legion of Doom or you know whatever you want to say. It was kind of an homage to Hawk and Animal, the old Road Warriors. So that was kind of cool but even think about it now, Animal goes to a lot of uh, autograph signings or if he's at an independent show there's always a big line there's always somebody that wants to put on the shoulder pads there's always somebody that wants to take a picture with them and that just goes to show you the road warriors you know they may have been broken up hawk may have passed on but the road warriors will never die they're just one of those things where wherever he is he's going to be recognized as one of the legion of doom as one of the road warriors and it's going to be so you know it's so sentimental thinking about it and thinking about the past and how great they were and think about him now just keep carrying on the legacy even if he wanted to he couldn't you know forget about the legion of doom and none of the fans could either so it's really cool to see him out there and you know doing all the autograph signings and everything else bringing the old school show, uh, shoulder pads and and wearing the face paint so it's awesome anybody gets a chance to go out there and meet animal at a show go up to him talk to him tell him how much the lod meant to you you know, and your family and, and your friends and everyone else and tell them how much you love the Road Warriors because uh, he's one of those guys, if you're at a signing, definitely one of those guys that a lot of people gravitate to. Absolutely, and of course, that's a great way to announce that on July 23rd, Animal is going to be joining the two-man power trip of wrestling at WrestlePro's Big Show in Union, New Jersey, as part of an event where the fans get to book the matches, and you can head on over to We Are WrestlePro. Dot com for more information on that. You can head on over to our Facebook page, which John will give you in the two-man power trip of wrestling business. You can reserve a ticket to meet Road Warrior Animal. You can come out to the show. You have a great time, and you can put on those shoulder pads. You can see him in the face paint. He still looks absolutely amazing. 
And that is one of the best things about having these traveling shows where you can go from town to town and you can still reach out and touch those legends of the past. And one thing that you could talk about with Road Warrior Animal is the fact that when you do meet him, you put on those shoulder pads, you better watch out that you don't get one of those Road Warrior promos cut on you if you knock one of the blades off or something because one of the things that I always felt kept them above everybody else outside of the intimidation, outside of the brute force, was the fact that their promo styles would literally scare the crap out of you. Whether they were screaming about taking Ric Flair down to the woodshed or what you're going to hear off the top uh, as the show is introduced. You know, the promo style of both Hawk both with Animal, you know, an animal to go, tell him, Hawk, well, and then you just, you never knew what was going to come out of the mouth of either one of them, and that was always something that I look forward to, just watching a Road Warrior match or getting to hear a, a, a house show getting pumped up. You always knew when the Road Warriors were going to get you into those seats, they were going to scare the crap out of you to do so, but John, that promo style, the LOD being scary, and as a kid, making you kind of believe they might kill you, um, I think that added to the overall package uh, and the, like I said, the intimidation of the Road Warriors. You know, it's funny. We always think back of when we're a younger fan and you think back at some of those guys that were like scary. Who scared you? Who was some of those guys that were just uh, made you kind of wonder, is this real? Is this guy crazy? What's going on? And the Road Warriors always had that appeal to me you know obviously chad we're in our almost mid-30s now so the road warriors right as we're hitting our peak in our prime as a as a young wrestling fan and i remember just always sitting there thinking like man these guys are scary as hell i mean just the face paint and the shoulder pads the voices the look the haircuts is always like scary as hell yeah cool as hell you can't help but just gravitate them and just love them but it's funny, you know, you think about some of their promos, you're like, man, these guys are, you know, these, this, is, this is scary stuff here. I mean, they're cutting these awesome promos, doing Hawk with that signature voice, Animal with his signature voice, and even throw Paul Ellering in there with his cool promo ability. Just always something that you remember fondly as a kid, and you, you know, you believe that these guys were actually going to hurt somebody in the ring. I mean, just the physical presence of these guys, then you throw in the great promos and they're like man these guys are dangerous and they were just a complete package of what the wrestling business turned into during the 80s obviously there was that big boom with hulk hogan and the guys had that great look to them who had a better look than the road warriors nobody i mean just think about it their look just was amazing and if you just think of what happened before let's say 70s maybe early 80s road warriors come boom then there's so many guys that kind of copy that look Obviously, you got the Powers of Pain, you got Demolition, you got several other teams that kind of copied that look, but no one will ever equal the original, and that is the greatest tag team of all time, LOD, a.k.a. the Road Warriors. Absolutely, and I'm actually kind of giddy to hear uh, that Road Warrior Animal music hit, just as you send it on over to the interview and John, a lot of big things happening with the show, and you'll hit that in the two man power trip of wrestling business. I want to repeat that July 23rd, Road Warrior Animal and the two man power trip of wrestling will be appearing at the big Wrestle Pro show in Union, New Jersey. It's going to be a great night. It's going to be a couple former guests of ours in the house Kevin Thorne, our good buddy Simon Dean will also be there. Animal will be appearing on the show as well as signing autographs, doing a meet and greet. Bull James will be on the show. It's going to be an awesome, hot summer night in Union, New Jersey. 
head on over to wearewrestlepro.com, get more information on their site, head on over to our Facebook page, get more information from us, and if you want to reserve a ticket for Road Warrior Animal and you want to meet him, want to put those shoulder pads on, well, get on over to our Facebook page, and you will definitely be able to reserve a ticket now to do so. And with all that being said, we want to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by the return of Spartacon. That's right, Spartacon 2 is the biggest and most exciting Rebel convention ever, complete with cosplay, artists, exhibits, celebrity guests, stuntmen, stunt coordinators, CrossFit trainers, and Legion instructors. You never know what you're going to find at the one and only Spartacus Fan Convention based in the United States. It's Spartacon 2, August 13th and 14th in Waldorf, Maryland. Head on over to redserpents.com for more information and a complete list of celebrities in attendance and to find out how you can get a discounted hotel rate. Again, it's Spartacon 2, August 13th and 14th in Waldorf, Maryland. So much more to come with Spartacon and the Rebels over at redserpents.com in the coming weeks. And with all that being said... Hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business partner and get it on over to a Legion of Doom member, Road Warrior Animal. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Pal and at Two Man Power Trip. Please head over to our YouTube page and subscribe to us over there. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. And while you're there, check out the feed for the latest and greatest episodes from the Two Man Power Trip, including episodes with The Late American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, The Total Package, Lex Luger, Jesse the Body Ventura, the phenomenal AJ Styles, WWE's lead attorney, Jerry McDivitt, Stan the Lariat Hanson, Hall of Famer Coco Beware, the legendary Magnum TA, and so, so, so many more. So please check us out on iTunes. Also, you can check us out on Google Play, the i95 Sports Network, and Player FM. Please also check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. And don't forget, we are now contributors on Wrestling Inc. Yes, please go to wrestlinginc.com and look for the two-man power trip of wrestling. We will be all over that site. And it's one of the best wrestling sites out there, so you're going to enjoy that. And also, please go to prowrestlingtees.com for not only our page, but also please check out Kevin Thorne, Buff Bagwell, Paul Orndorff, and coming soon, Tito Santana. So please head over to ProWrestlingTees.com. And now, without any further ado, a former NWA, AWA, All Japan, and a three-time former WWE World Tag Team Champion, He is one half of the greatest tag team of all time. He is one half of the legendary Legion of Doom. He is Road Warrior Animal. Please enjoy.
happy here to welcome in somebody who I can honestly say this man needs no introduction, but I will go ahead and do so anyway. He's a former All Japan Pro Wrestling Tag Team Champion, a former AWA Tag Team Champion, a former NWA Tag Team Champion, a former WWE Tag Team Champion, and if they've ever had tag team belts made for a company he's been in, he's probably held those two. He's the one and only, often imitated, never duplicated, Road Warrior Animal. Thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. Now, that's a proper introduction. I love it. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it, and we were so happy to be joined with you tonight. And, of course, we're talking about the the big show we got coming up in a few weeks in July, WrestlePro in Union, New Jersey, on July 23rd. Tickets are available now at WrestleProOnline.com, where you can come and go one-on-one and meet the one and only Road Warrior Animal alongside the two-man power trip of wrestling. And Animal, we're going to be so pumped to see you that night. But tonight, we're going to go down a little memory lane, if that's cool with you. Yeah, man, that's great, bro. Anything you guys want to do, you know, I really look forward to coming out there to UB, New Jersey. I got a lot of relatives that live in Jersey still, and I got a lot of people relatives that live in Philly. All of the W's close, and, uh, you know, it's a great opportunity for the fans to come meet me, take a picture, put on the shoulder pads, and be a member of the LOD just for about five minutes. <laughs> yes, how can you? We've been, basically, that's what John and I, we always say back and forth to each other. It's once you put on the shoulder pads, you kind of take on that persona, and you grow up to the size of what the Road Warriors are. And then you take them off, you shrink right back down. They're regular size. You go, all right, I got to get out of here quick. But that is, I, that I, is one I, of the I most. I see more grown men turn into twelve-year-olds in an instant. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, and of course, it's you know a timeless, timeless thing. The shoulder pads and the road warriors go hand in hand. But I said we're going to go down memory lane, but I'm going to swerve it a little bit here. We're going to start with something current. And that's something that you can never go that far without talking about the Road Warriors, and comparisons are always getting thrown out there. But most recently, the shocking return of Paul Ellering to WWE TV with this new tag team called the Authors of Pain. I guess you could maybe call the acronym AOP, but uh, definitely a shocking return. But good to see Paul Ellering back on TV. What is your thoughts about his return to the the world of WWE? (laughs) Well, I, I talked to Paul, and, you know, it was only, you know, he doesn't even know if it's a one-time deal or, or what it is. Uh, he's only going out there with him for one TV. So um, I don't know if it's going to be any permanent deal or, or, or what, but, you know, I, you know, yeah, what a, what a great name, right? You can't think of anything different than an author's of pain. I mean, they're so close to the powers of pain and everything else, you know. Um, you think you'll be able to find some different name. But, hey, you know, Paul Ellering's a great guy. He's a great manager. And, uh, you know, if um, best of luck to the guys. I mean, I hope they may, I hope everybody makes it in the world of pro wrestling. But uh, it's going to be pretty hard to, uh, to duplicate anything that Hawk and I have done. You know what I mean? Oh, my God, absolutely. Understatement of the century. And that, we'll just put a period on that. But it's not the first time that we've seen in the last couple of years, you know, the Road Warrior impersonators or the uh, the tribute bands, you know, if you want to call it from a uh, music perspective. But, you know, the big talk about a year and a half ago was the Ascension. And obviously the paint yeah. being played in here and the colors and a variation of some kind of shoulder pad. But looking back at the Ascension, I don't really think they lived up to the Road Warrior moniker of uh, that pop or the fame of the Road Warriors. 
Well, you know, it, it, here's the thing with Hawk and I. <clears throat> when you got the Hawk and I, we were the Road Warriors. We were the Road Warriors in and out of the ring. We were kind of we were that way before wrestling. And uh, we didn't have to fake anything. We didn't have to fake our interviews. We didn't have to imitate anybody. We were us. <clears throat> the time you try to, to imitate people and try to copy somebody, that, that never works because everybody always remembers the original. I mean, everybody remembers Bruno San Martino and Ric Flair and, you know, guys like Gorgeous George and, you know, Harley Race and, you, you know, The Rock and, you know, and Hulk Hogan and the Road Warriors. The original, always somebody always remembers, and you can't imitate that. And I don't know why guys over the years, whether they call them tribute or what, would even try to imitate it because it's almost like the kiss of death. You know what I mean? Because right away you got good fans like yourself that say, oh, crap, they're never going to be the road warriors. What are they trying to do? And when you mention Hawk and I's name in an interview, that even kills you out further because now they, people are saying – Boy, if Hawk were here, you know, Animal will kill you about himself. But if Hawk were here, they both really get. You know what I mean? Even even at our age now, you know, because we stay, I stay in shape. But it's just one of those things, man. You know, evolution in the wrestling business is always going to grow, and athletes are getting, you know, doing more dangerous things, and you know, they're going to grow and mature and get better. And you know, who knows where the wrestling business is going to go? But I think that we, it's safe to say that we're going to go down. You know, it's kind of cool. When you go to TV, there's a position right before you go out through the curtain called the gorilla position. And if you blow the roof off the place with your music and the crowd goes crazy, it's called the Road Warrior Pop. And, you know, that's kind of cool that that will always be remembered in the wrestling business because it's something different that not everybody can achieve, you know. Oh, yeah. And it's also used when talking about now – People, not the Road Warriors, if you're talking about somebody getting that pop, yeah, they say the Road Warrior pop, and that, to me, I mean, that in itself is a tribute outside of everybody just remembering, you know, the carnage and the mayhem and the brutality and just the the force that you guys had when you came out of the, the dressing room and you, you know, blitzed the ring and took somebody out, but... The Road Warrior Pop, that's a great uh, – that's definitely a great place to kind of start here looking back at the career because, you know, there was one thing I was thinking about, and kind of, you know, I love preparing for interviews. You get to watch old wrestling clips, and it's fantastic. But was there ever a time with that Road Warrior Pop, maybe if you guys went on a hiatus or if you were coming back into a company, that you were kind of, you know, maybe a little skeptical whether or not the fans were going to just take back to you that fast? Or did you think just because you guys – are the Legion of Doom, you are the Road Warriors, that you were going to get that response from the fans every time. Well, you know, I think once you're, when, you're, when you're an original, I don't think the people forget very easy, but I'd say a good testament to it was <clears throat> our last little run there when we went into the uh, WWE, when we wrestled Kane and Van Damme. Um, you know, uh, Hawk had spent some time in Japan. I had come back from an injury. And we were really, really away from TV for like four or five years. And we were in Philly and Baltimore, and as soon as those people heard the what they went, they freaking came unglued. <clears throat> and if it was going to be good business that day, that's a day that we should we should have taken the belts off of it and came that night because the people believed it, they wanted to see it, and they went freaking nuts. And you know, of course, anytime you go on the East Coast, Philly, Baltimore, New York, Jersey, you know, Newark or whatever, it, you're going to get a crazy pop like that because. Those fans are a lot like us. They're kind of crazy and they're nuts, you know. But it, it's always a great atmosphere. And, and uh, <clears throat> you know, so I don't think uh, 
but I, you know, and it's still, even when I did the Raw, if you guys seen the Raw 1000 show that I did in 2012 when I wrestled Heath Slater, yeah, the fans came unglued when my music played. It's it's something that it's like it's only it's almost like a, a holy crap moment. Here comes trouble now. You know what I mean? Or someone's about ready to get a good butt kicking. You know, and it, it just comes synonymous with the music, and it's kind of. A good reputation to have, and, and, and I'm glad, glad, just glad we were able to live up to it, you know. Yeah, and the music plays such a huge part for you guys, and you know the the, uh, the listeners are going to hear it, you know, coming into the interview. Of course, we got to play the uh, the iconic WWE version of it, but your music was always identifiable, whether it was Iron Man or whether it was you know uh, like an NWA take on Iron Man, and then it was also you know into the WWF and what their theme was, but how much did you guys feel the music set the tone for your, you know, your appearance and for you guys hitting the ring? And when you added the water rush to the top of it, again, just kind of adds to the persona. But what did the music do to get you guys, like, into the mode of uh, time to stop the man? Well, you know, when you come up to music like Black Sabbath, Iron Man, it was freaking crazy. I mean, that's just an iconic song for Hawk and I. You know, we kind of attributed it to working out with the iron and everything else, and just that drum beat of the... <clears throat> and, then the dumb. and when you heard that, everybody, like especially the big, you know, in the Meadowlands and places like Madison Square Garden and Philly Civic Center or, you know, whatever, or Chicago at the Rosemont Horizon, fans would go absolutely crazy on it, you know. And, and then when we had the NWA version, uh, we had to change it because, I, you know, Ozzy Osbourne's agents, they wanted 10 grand a time to play it, so... We had to go into this. I went into Paisley Studios, Prince's place, and changed it every fourth lick. <clears throat> it was a different version of Iron Man, but it was still pretty similar. And like Jimmy Hart helped us do that. And of course, then we went to WWE, and uh, that's where Oh What a Rush was born because Hawk did an interview one time, and we were getting ready to play before our music. Our music was kind of just oh, okay, generic music, and then we added Oh What a Rush to the front of it. It became a trademark, you know. I mean, to this day, the What a Rush thing is will forever be known as Hawk and I's deal, you know. So, I mean, it's it's kind of cool, but I think I think that's real important, real important for when you go to the ring now in today's business to have that thing that just grabs those fans immediately and says, uh-oh, let's stand up, let's get ready to go because you may only have five or ten minutes to see this thing, you know what I mean? And um, that's why, you know, you have music today like Stone Cold's music, is phenomenal. The rock's music is phenomenal. You know, guys, people relate to that music. Even Brock Lesnar's music, I like his music too. It, people know when that plays, you know, you know what's going to hit the fan. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and it, the music became so synonymous with the Road Warriors. But what was the, you know, the catalyst for you and Hawk? I know you guys were kind of like lifelong friends. Obviously, you know, you've known each other forever. But what was the catalyst? for becoming the Road Warriors, you know, and the shoulder pad and the face stamp. What kind of started that for you guys? Well, you know, <clears throat> we patted ourselves after the first Road Warrior movie, you know. And then uh, the the paint just came, it kind of grew as we were in the business. We started off with just a couple of stripes. If you know, like, the main heel with the Mohawk in the Road Warrior movie just had a couple of stripes on his face. So we tried that. Well, that wasn't exactly fitting. So then Hawk did the face he called Joker face, the one over each eye. And, you know, and then I started putting the horns, like the devil horns on, and then the devil horns with the spider and then the web. And it just kind of grew from there, man. 
<clears throat> but the but shoulder pads and paint, you know, we you guys remember when we started that company, Zubaz, and yeah, yep. um, with the zebra ring pants, okay? When we did Zubaz, we had a friend of ours that was the um, – uh, we did a deal with Dan Marino, and in doing that, we uh, we met the equipment manager for Miami Dolphins, his brother, Teddy Monica, who ran uh, Power Protective Equipment. We uh, we got shoulder pads from him, and I, and I sat there, literally sat there in my garage and was drilling shoulder pads out. I had a buddy of mine from Honeywell making me some spikes, and that's how shoulder pads evolved. So cool, like to actually, you know, learn the history and find out, like, the, you know, what happened behind the scenes of the road horses. You know, the shoulder pads become so synonymous with you guys, and the safe and everything else. But it's so cool to get kind of behind the scenes there. So, how did you guys meet up with Paul Ellering, and, and you know, him become a huge part of what you guys had soon become? Well, <clears throat> at the time we were in Georgia Championship Wrestling with Ole Anderson. Uh, you know, we were so young and naive and green that we couldn't even, uh, you know, we, they weren't about to let us do any interviews right off the bat because we were so violent. I mean, we really were. We're two kids ran out of the bar off the street. So the, they said, we're gonna, I'm going to put Paul Ellering with you, <clears throat> let him do the talking. And then after about a month, we start saying one or two words. Then we start saying a couple sentences. Then we start doing our own interviews <clears throat> until we came to a theme, you know, where, you know, I was the hard sell guy, basically going to do a rundown of what happened before and what we're going to do and kick somebody's teeth down their throat. And Hawk would just say something totally strictly off the wall. And Ellering would wrap it all up in a nice little bow at the end. And uh, we just gelled together, and the people bought it, and they loved us together, and it just it just worked. And Paul, you know, the mastermind of it all, had the infamous, you know, the Legion of Doom started. You guys won tag tail basically everywhere you went and it started basically in Georgia Championship Wrestling but how did you make the jump from Georgia Championship Wrestling to the NWA and to Jim Crockett Promotions did you you made quite a splash in JCP well I think over time I was counting the other day I think we won some like it's funny because I hear these you know fans are great and all you know <clears throat> Dudleys were boasting, oh, we're 15-time WWE champs. And I said, well, <clears throat> Hawk and I won some, like, 20 different belts in different companies, you know, from Mexico to Korea to, you know, Japan, all Japan, New Japan, World Japan, Zero One, NOAA, you know, to Australian, and all over the place from, you know, from Don Owens in Portland to Texas to UWF to WCW, WWE, WWF, NWA, Georgia Championship Wrestling, you know, all those different championships. And how how we made the jump, for, the first jump we made from Georgia Championship was actually to the AWA. Then we went to the NWA. And in between those, we would take time and go to Japan back and forth. So we never got burnt out in one area. You know what I mean? We never got stale. And every time we went into a different place, we tried to change something different from the black shoulder pads to the red shoulder pads to the blue shoulder pads to the white shoulder pads to, you know, the gold ones for SummerSlam and then the ones that, you know, LG 2000 and then the ones, you know, different ones too. The only thing I didn't like about going, like, to the WWF is when we had to go in the ring and jump up on the ropes and, you know, and do the yay boo thing, you know. Hmm. <laughs> and the awesome shoulder pads are just great, you know, with the different colors and stuff and the colorful mist and, it just went perfect with that era, too, because those fans were so into – I guess Vince was kind of ahead of the curve as well, and the marketing and everything else as you slowly created more 
to uh, JCP for a second, and I remember you guys winning, you know, basically it was the first Crockett Cup, Crockett Cup 86, you guys win that. But there were so many good tag teams there, and you guys seemed to mesh well with all of them. Did you, you know, did you enjoy working with, like, guys like Arn and Tully? Oh, heck yeah, man. I mean, think about it. You had, at the time, Crusher Khrushchev and Ivan Kolov. You had the Mid Express. You had then it was Nikita and Crusher Khrushchev and Nikita and Ivan Kolov. <clears throat> you know, then you had the four horses and Tully Blanchard and Anderson, which were phenomenal. Good teachers. Even Rick Flair when we would do six bands with, with three of the horsemen and not Hawk and I and Dusty. There were so many teams in there at the time that were great teams that uh, you know, they're very underrated in the in the big scheme of things. Three quarters of those teams should be in the Hall of Fame today those NWA teams, if they were doing a shooting Hall of Fame, all, everybody that was in the NWA at that time should be in the Hall of Fame, to be honest with you. Because they took time to take Hawk and I as two young punks and to be patient with us and help us learn the wrestling business. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I'd say a couple other guys who did a great job with Hawk and I in the very beginning was Terry and Dory Funk and Jack and Jerry Briscoe. You know, we got the rest of those guys, and that, those guys are freaking legendary, you know? Four of the all-time best, uh, without a doubt. It's, it's uh, oh awesome. yeah, imagine, yeah, ima- imagine Jack Briscoe was a champion at the time. <clears throat> he lets me slam him on TV. Uh, we wrestled Terry and Dory Funk over in Japan, and they they were gods over in Japan. And Hawk and I beat the dog crap out of them in Kirken Hall in Tokyo, and uh, took you know became the top dogs in, in Japan at that time. Which is, you know, a great testament to you guys that the fans are so into it and it's so believable. But when you get to beat, you know, a team like that, it's just it just puts you guys, you know, on the map basically. It puts you over like, man, these guys are monsters. So it's just awesome oh yeah, to be able to do definitely a guys. credibility issue. Definitely a credibility thing, you know. Without a doubt, and you know, one thing that definitely added to you know the credibility of you guys. I know you mentioned being the six man uh, tag champs with Dusty at one point. But when you guys were feuding with the Four Horsemen, and we just talked to Lex Luger recently about this too, which is great, the War Games, and you guys were involved in a huge feud, and War Games was, you know, basically Dusty's creation. What was that match like? Because it was so much different for that time, and it seemed like it was, a, you know, ends up a lot of painful memories for some guys. Well, <laughs> you know, the, the crazy part about the War Games, bro, do you ever remember watching the War Games, the spot where I do a flying tackle over both ropes, both rings? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We did that on the fly. With the people cheering so much, and then the horsemen had so much heat, Tully and Arn, Lex, and, uh, and Flair, <clears throat> that when we got in the ring, I mean, <clears throat> Hawk and I were like a couple of caged animals. Of course, Hawk, he was the last one to get in, so he hurt everybody. But that time Hawk got in, he hurt, he knocked everybody out one night, one match. I looked over there, oh, Flair went out. There goes Tully, Arn crawled between the ring, and, and Luger had knocked out in, in one match. Oh, yeah. But, but what was crazy is that, you know, it, what a creation to do that. And you're never going to see that because how far can you invent things today? I mean, listen, look how crazy that match was and the reaction we got and we sold out all over the country. You didn't have to jump off a 30-foot-high cage onto a table onto the floor and Rick's injury to Rick's life for them. You know what I mean? And you, you let you, – that was the old – that was the good part about the business, about letting bad be bad, and it was good versus evil, you know? 
And that's where this wrestling, I feel that's where the wrestling business has got to go back to. You think there's too many high spots in today's business? You know, they're taking it oh, too far. Yeah. Too many high spots that don't mean anything. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean anything. <clears throat> a guy takes a superplex off the top rope and he gets up right away and clotheslines the other guy. What does that mean? Here, here's the problem today. Guys are so worried about getting their stuff, they call it stuff, getting their stuff in, that they're losing the philosophy of the match. Hmm. Philosophy of the match is good versus evil. You know what I mean? But the difference was when Hawk and I came in the wrestling business, we shut our mouth and said, okay, Mr. Player, what do you want to do tonight? You think that the psychology is kind of just thrown out the window nowadays? Yeah, because it's all about it's all about ratings now, and what I don't think the public doesn't want to see. <clears throat> like for instance, the public doesn't want to see Roman Reigns wrestle John Cena. Do you know what I mean? They don't want to see two good guys wrestle each other, and I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. I think that <clears throat> if they would just figure out that Bray Wyatt is one of their best performers in that company they would be able to draw some serious money over there. But the wrestling business is down. The ratings are down. The ratings are all-time low. They've been in 25 years. That's got to tell you something. Yeah, it's true. The, the last time the ratings were this low was only because WCWs were so high. So it's Yeah, exa- exactly. Man. And, and now they're, they're this low with no competition. Tell, the people are telling you, hey, we're tired of this crap. We want to see something. Why do you think that in WrestleMania, the loudest pop of the night was when Mankind, Shawn Michaels, and Stone Cold and The Rock came down together? Because hmm. people love to see that era, and they want to have that kind of pop. People want to feel that relationship with the guys, and there's a relationship missing with the people between the guys. Do you think that's the, the wrestler's fault, or do you think that's more of like the writers and more of like Vince needs to get these get the fans behind the wrestlers more? I think it's the writer's fault. Because so I don't think the writers have a clue on how to reach the fan. <clears throat> They've never put they never stepped foot in the ring and they don't have a clue on what the fan really wants to see. It's one thing being a fan. You could be a great fan and be a good guy, like like you guys can do an interview and stuff like that because you know what to ask. But to be in the ring and actually be a puppeteer on what 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 no one wanted to do to get a guy to beat you up and one to start coming back to get the fans behind you. It's, a, it's, it's totally an art form. A tag team is real hard, too. It definitely seems like a, a lost art because back when, obviously, you know, in your primes, the tag team divisions were so stacked to, obviously, the psychology and the selling, but you think tag team wrestling needs to make a big comeback? You know, <clears throat> I think there's room in the wrestling business for tag team wrestling. I don't know if you're ever going to see it again where tag teams are like us. I mean, we were probably one of the few tag teams ever that were a main event that can go on a main event and sell out of the arena anywhere. You know, they would put us in a main event against Tully and Arn, and we could sell it anywhere in the country with the NWA. I don't know if the tag teams are believable enough and will ever get there in the next five or ten years where they can go and sell out by themselves. And I don't think it's it's guy's fault. <clears throat> Listen, my philosophy is anybody – I shouldn't say anybody. Guys that are good single wrestlers doesn't make them great tag team wrestlers. And if you want to get to the Super Bowl, how are you going to get to the Super Bowl? You're going to get to the Super Bowl by the Super Bowl coach. 
And to be a great tag team, you need to have great tag teams being a coach. I, that's my philosophy. That's how we all learn from the history of the wrestling business by the guys who have been there and did the dance before us. That's a very, very, very good point. And I can't help but think, you know, as we're talking about wrestling and you guys kind of being under the learning tree of certain guys, can't help but to think possibly the second greatest tag team of all time, or definitely arguably, the Midnight Express and your awesome feud with them and the scaffold match and Cornette and everything else involved. Can you talk a little bit about the Midnights? Oh, probably one of the most underrated teams ever in the history of wrestling with us. Bob Eaton, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Even with the one with he and Stan Lane and he and Dennis Condry, both Midnights were great. Cornette was great. <clears throat> I mean, great manager. What a great voice, great manager, good psychology. Uh, working with those guys was a dream, man. Never, never had a bad match with them. You know, they were consummate professionals in the ring. Was the scaffold match scary at all? Bro, that match sucked. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be honest, I was 320 pounds at the time. They made me climb up the top of that scaffold. I told Dusty, are you crazy? And I ended up doing like 150 of those things, Hawk and I did. They were brutal. Climbing to the top of that scaffold was the scariest thing because a lot of our crews couldn't put them together because you had to use a union building, and they wouldn't put them together exactly the way our crews did, and they were pretty flimsy, man. You got to think of it. It's only a three-foot-wide fireman scaffold. Up there, thirty hmm. feet above the ring. Crazy. And you guys are That's, I guess they don't necessarily stand the test of time. Uh, you know, when you look back, I mean, it's an impressive sight, but it seems like it's one of those uh, thoughts on paper that could possibly look a lot better than it did when it came out. But the guy behind a lot of that booking was the late great American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. We just passed the one-year anniversary of Dusty's death. And reflecting with Lex Luger the other day and reflecting with a lot of his past constituents, how was working for Dusty and, you know, performing alongside Dusty? We've heard stories from the rock and roll that maybe uh, him being the boss, it was kind of hard to uh, be a standout star. But what was your take on that, and how was your relationship with Dusty while working for him and uh, working alongside him? Well, I, I couldn't complain. You're not going to get me to say a bad word about Dusty at all. <clears throat> Dusty Rhodes is... Not only a great friend, but a great human being. Um, you know, he called Hawk and I as babies. He's called them my pit bulls. They're my pit bulls. And, uh, you know, he was a smart businessman. Everybody laughed when they, he made himself a six-man partner with us. But what a good business move that was. Because here we are, the guy that we laid out, and I took his, tried to take his out with a spike, and now he's our partner. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we were able to sell out buildings as a six-man tag team with Dusty as our partner. Um, Dusty was a smart guy, man. What a great interview. Good interview, good heart, good guy, great businessman. He was a great, great, great booker, I think. Yeah, I, I can't say anything bad about Dusty. Oh, the best and definitely means a lot to this show and uh, our, our, you know, our history with Dusty. But I'll tell you what, you know, you just brought it up and I, I really wanted to hit on that and that was the turn on Dusty and it was kind of a head scratcher, you know, at the time. You definitely, everybody was into you guys and uh, it was a pretty violent turn uh, by the standards uh, of today. Maybe not then, we thought it was a common place. But um, when you were approached about the, the heel turn, were you guys into it? And, you know, finally uh, getting this, you know, everybody had kind of grown into you as being, you know, the good guys, the good bad guys. But now you're going to turn bad. 
Was that something you guys were into at that point? Well, you know, the only reason why we turned good, if you remember back then, was because we wrestled the Cold Wars right at the end of the Cold War. You know, and Ivan and Nikita were from Russia, and we were the Americans, so we were red, white, and blue Americans. You know, you guys are bad guys, but you know what? These guys are Americans, and Americans are going to kill the Russian guy. So when the turn came, it's not like we had to change anything because we never changed anything in our interviews anyway. But taking Dusty's eye out, people still ask me to this day, Animal, was that real? Did you take his eye out? And I said, yeah, I tried to take his eye out, which <laughs> the spike never touched him. Uh, but the funny thing about the whole thing is when Lex, when Sting and Luger tried to come in to make the save, everywhere we went, when we went against Sting and Luger and Dusty and Six Man, or just Sting and Luger by themselves, people gave Hawk and I a standing ovation. Because I think people know deep down inside, people aren't squeaky clean in their life. You know what I mean? Especially right. us two city kids. We weren't squeaky clean, man. We admit it not being squeaky clean. But at the end of the day, we finished the race of life strong. You know, but it wasn't uh, – Dusty was great. I mean, Russell, uh, he, when he came up with that idea to take his eye out with a spike, I said, man, you're freaking crazy. Because, you know, we were, we were stiff as hell at that time, you know. Oh, yeah. It's brutal. But it I mean, it's great, to, <laughs> it's great to watch, but it's brutal. <laughs> Yeah, it was brutal. Don't get me wrong. People think I really took his eye out. Oh, well, how could you tell? You know, Dusty had so many marks, you know. It's hard to uh, to see where you started to get in there with the eye. <laughs> but, you know, at that point, yeah. so that's, that's a big transition year, you know, for, for the NWA and Jim Crock Promotions. Obviously, Ted Turner steps in, and that's where, you know, the the changeover into full-blown WCW starts to begin. What was the uh, what was the atmosphere like when Ted Turner bought the company? Were you guys kind of seeing that maybe it was a one-way and the only way might be to uh, jump ship, or uh, did you think Ted Turner buying it was going to give it new life? No, see, uh, <clears throat> Turner Turner Sports always liked Hawk and I anyway. Anytime there was a big corporate party, well, a lot of people don't realize, they would have three people show up. They wanted Flair and Hawk and I to show. Because we were the three top big money drawers for the company at the time. And I had no problem with it, with the buyout. I thought it was a great idea, you know. It only started getting hairy when WWF wanted to start buying it, that thing. You know, that's that's when it started to change. But I think WCW, when when they were going, I think the mistake they tried to make after Hawk and I, we just said we had enough and we had to work for New Japan. They tried to compete too much and be too much like WWF or WWE, you know. Right. If they would have stuck to being their own company, they would have done fine. Yeah, because, I mean, the talent roster was unbelievable. Like we said, the tag team, even though the tag team scene in both companies was probably the best that it's ever been, I mean, the you know, the NWA roster was out of this world with the talent and basically everybody in their prime um, and really rocking and rolling. But when you do jump to the WWF, we'll skip ahead a little bit for the sake of time and jump ahead to the WWF. Uh, when the debut comes about, everybody's anticipating the Demolition versus Road Warriors showdown. And when we talked to Bill Eady not too long ago, he had brought up, you know, the chemistry factor and that on paper it might look great, but it's got to be a chemistry thing in the ring. Is that something that you guys felt as well? Because, like we all said, it was the dream match. that We, we read about it in magazines. We all wanted to see it, but it just never really got off the ground like it maybe should have. Well, it's not really – I don't think the chemistry really had anything to do with it. I think the chemistry would have been there just fine. Except Vince pulled us all in and said, okay – we're going to beat Demolition right away. And where do you go from there? 
I mean, that's what people are waiting to see. They should have let us battle demolition for a year, you know what I mean, before beating them. But they, but they didn't. You know, we ended right. up beating them right away. So I mean, it was it was too, it was easy at that point. And once we did that, nobody even thought of demolition anymore. Which I actually felt bad for demolition. Right. Yeah, you, know, you I mean, guys. I mean, it, no, I, I, think, I, I think I think I think that could have been like it was with Tully and R. That could have been a tag team main event anywhere for WWE. Because people oh, just I, wanted to see it. And if you do something to leave them hungry for the next time, we'll come back again, it would have been perfect. Right. Yeah, it, it had all the makings. It had the uh, it had the platform. It had the, the show like a WrestleMania. But unfortunately, it just fell short. And I was going to say, you know, your relationship going back uh, way back with uh, with Smash, Barry Darso, I mean, you think, I mean, it's just it's a, it's a marker for success, and you guys had such great matches with him when he was Crusher Khrushchev that, you know, Bill Eady, another skilled guy, they would have been just a fantastic few, but, yeah, didn't get the chance it should have. But here's another great thing I've always kind of wanted to hear from you. I don't know if you've ever addressed it or if it's ever even been brought up to you. Maybe this is just a crazy rumor that I heard. But were you guys ever thought of coming in as heels and kind of going the, like the Hulk Hogan route and destroying Hogan and, and, and kind of going down that route, or was it always you guys coming in for demolition and then just being the uber baby faces that you were? Oh, we were just coming in for uber baby faces. I mean, <clears throat> we had no caring of what Hogan was doing at all, to be honest with you. I mean, we only right. wrestled Hogan one time in in, in, in New Japan. We wrestled he had Tenro. But, um, we just wanted to come in there and be, you know, try to help out because they're running shift A and shift B, you know, two towns every night. We just wanted to be the, we thought we could be the main event on the, on one of the towns. But I guess Vince had other ideas because a lot of stuff that was supposed to happen never really happened. Right. Yeah, I know it was just that. As far as con- contract crazy. money, anything, contract money, everything was, was not what he was portrayed to be. From the Vince perspective. Oh yeah, well, from from the BS lines, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Which yeah. is, you know, it's a curious case because the early '90s was the merchandising machine. It was anything that had a logo that could be printed on it. That was uh, that was where it was supposed to be. And the Road Warriors, obviously, being the uh, the very marketable entity that you guys uh, were and still remain uh, on Vince products. That uh, it was obviously uh, that was you know that was definitely something I'm sure. You guys saw as well, but that whole WWF scene in the locker room, did you see a difference between the NWA, WCW uh, crew and then jumping over into that WWF locker room? You know, man, all the guys are the same no matter where you go, to be honest with you. The guys working the same was where you go. It's the persona of the office that changes. I think it was uh, more of an old-school wrestling-type attitude in the NWA, and everybody had that mindset when you went out there. Was not not that the guys didn't have that in the WWF, but it was it was different, man. It was like the guys were securing their job in the end of the day, and it was like almost everybody was afraid of losing their job in the WWF. You know what I mean? Right. That was that was basically the main difference that I saw. Yeah, uh, with all the different tenures that you guys had there, would you consider Vince to be a fan of the Legion of Doom? Uh, I think he was. I think the thing that bothered that office more than anything else is that we were already an established 
you know, world-known talent before we got there. And I don't think he likes that. I think he likes to own you and invent you and make you that talent, like The Rock, like Stone Cold, like Taker, and, you know, like Shawn Michaels. And he likes to kind of own everything about you, and he didn't have that with us. Yeah, it's kind of the way it is some of the time with the, you know, Vince and the WWF, that if he didn't create you, he's not, you know, probably not going to push you as much as he should have. Well, yeah, I mean, think, think about it. If we weren't as old as we were, you didn't see a lot of vignettes of Hawk and I. You didn't see us on a lot of their commercials for merchandise, like posters or stuff like that. But you saw Macho Man, you saw Hogan, you saw Warrior, but you never saw Hawk and I. Even though they sold all that stuff and I, you never saw that. Even today, when they have the fan fest, right? I've never got asked to do one fan fest at WrestleMania, even after getting put into the Hall of Fame. I never did one fan fest before that. And I have no heat with the company. He does not like putting a product out there that, A, is going to outshine the people that he invents or he didn't invent. You know what I mean? Like, <clears throat> it's why everybody asks me, geez, that's a great animal. You would have run down during that thing with Ascension on TV. Well, what would you have done then? If I'd have had to run down during Ascension, I'd have to leave them both playing, and then they're really going to be dead. Hmm. You know what I mean? So this is why – and that, that's the take that I took on it. And it shouldn't be that, man, because it's a business. It's a work. It should be easy to do. And, and you know, it shouldn't be all that animosity, man, but there is a lot of egos in this business, and that's just the way it is, and it's the way it's always going to be. Hawk and I just wanted to be businessmen, you know? That's all we want to do is be businessmen and do our jobs. Which is great, and kind of, you know, kind of the way everyone should be. But I feel like the yellow they could have gotten, you know, more notoriety and more push from Vince. But I do remember fondly SummerSlam 91 when you guys do beat the Nasty Boys for the tag titles. Did you kind of think that maybe Vince was changing his mind at that point, that he was going to start giving you a big push? Well, I I thought after that match, we were so – that Madison Square Garden freaking erupted. It was the first time in my career that you actually felt like you actually won a championship. People went nuts. And nobody else got that reaction all night. Not the Ultimate Warrior, nobody else got Hogan, nobody. And Hawk and I got it. And I said, wow, this is different than anything I've experienced in the wrestling business. I thought for sure it was going to be off and sailing at that point. It was almost like the old thing we were saying before, the Road Warrior pop was back, and this time in the WWF. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah, it was. You know, the, the, the thing was that, People would see us disappear for a couple of years and, oh, what have they been doing? But, you know, a lot of times, even when we went back to the WWF, people don't realize we went to Japan for two or three years. You know what I mean? Where the pop continued all over the country of Japan. It's just that we weren't in the U.S. working very much. We would go up to Montreal and work with Dino Bravo and Rick Martel and those guys. But we never worked for any major big company in the U.S. You know, it was time to go back. And, you know, we keep talking about Japan kind of just passing by, but what do you think about your time in Japan? Because you were, I mean, New Japan, All Japan, Zero One, uh, Tenru's promotion, when you and, uh, ten, you know, you and Paul Kofi, you guys fought Tenru and Hogan. So, great mood. I mean, you guys had so many great memories and moments in Japan. Did you love wrestling over, in, you know, in the Far East? Oh, yeah, love Japan. If I could have done my whole career in Japan, I would have stayed there. Never a headache. You just got to wake up, get on the bus, go to the event, wrestle, 
got good food all the time, <clears throat> got paid well, and it was just great, great respect. That's I guess that's the big thing. It was great, great respect. Japan knows that when you're coming over there as an American, you were going to help their company make money and help everybody make money, and you were going to help build their company and get the name up there, where it was kind of different in the States. It was like the States and the companies, they thought, oh, well, they're doing you a favor by working for that company. You know what I mean? Hmm. Or by, yeah. by letting you work for the company, especially when it got time to be WWF, WWE. Was, oh, well, we'll let them work for us. You know, and it, it kind of – that's where the business started going really weird to me. Because without, without the guys driving the ship, there is no ship. And where yeah. that got lost along the way, I don't know. But without the guys in the ring performing, there is no ship. Yeah, without guys, you know, like the Road Warriors, who were, you know, huge, important stuff in Japan and basically everywhere they went, but then WBF, I mean, you guys were the champs at one point, but then they kind of do some weird sports entertainment kind of crap. And then, then, you know, you go from being such a big deal, like you're saying, moneymaker, building stuff in Japan. And then you're in WBF with Rocco and, and Paul Ellering's holding a you know ventriloquist dummy. Did you kind of think that was a little bit odd? Yeah, I hated that Rocco thing. <laughs> well, they they were trying to do it because here's the thing: we were so strong for so many years. They were trying to figure out something to soften us up, and they thought, well, maybe we'll get you know kids with this doll thing. But we were still we were already selling a bunch of action figures and foam rubber shoulder pads for kids. If they would just listen, <clears throat> remember when they had those um, fathead things or the WWE posters where the one where Savage came through the wall? Hmm. Can you imagine Hawk and I busting through the wall? Hey! Get a WWF poster now from the Road Warriors, Yellow D. I mean, that would have been cool. Every kid in the world would have wanted to get one of those. They just never let us do that stuff. And in, in hindsight, you know, we made it, we did very well. We were, we were one of our top sellers of merchandise all over the place, but we could have been number one. I mean, no doubt in my mind. Hello, D's. And, and the merchandise that, that did have was so cool because obviously your look inspired the merchandise which made that you know the best merchandise they had it was so cool and i remember the shoulder pads and everything when we were kids i remember the wrestling buddies were awesome of you and hawk it's just such cool stuff that the road warriors were able to make but you know you guys eventually would end up leaving is that all because hawk wanted to leave and then kind of you left with him or was your contract up no it was uh it was right at the summer slam and Hawk had actually failed another urine test, and and uh, Hawk Hawk had a real problem with being a grown man with somebody telling him what he could and couldn't do. You know, yeah, it was all after all this crap happened with the steroids and everything else with Vince and all that stuff. You know, getting looked at by the FBI. So yeah, I know I understood one of the reasons why he was stricter on everything. You know, I understood that, but <clears throat> you know, Hawk and I think it was Hawk and Jake and I think Nord or the Berserker or somebody. They all failed piss tests. They were going to get three months off after SummerSlam in Wembley Stadium, and um, so that's when Hawk left right after that. I actually, Hawk and Paul and I were actually went at uh, Hershey, Pennsylvania TV, waiting to do TV, and then Hawk called and quit. That's how he called. He called and convinced the secretary and quit. Didn't even tell hmm. us. Hmm. Yeah, crazy. And it kind of was the split. I know you you got. I think it was a back injury at that, that point, but the uh, split of the Road Warriors for a little bit was that kind of weird. Knowing you know, that you basically were with Hawk for years and years and years, and then it was kind of 
Wow, we're kind of splitting up for a little bit here. Yeah, I got pissed off at them for doing that. You know, every decision we made was for the best of the team, and he went ahead and thought of himself and did that. So I actually got really pissed off at him when he did that. Crazy, you know, looking back, just thinking of it, you know, like the Road Warriors, the infamous Road Warriors kind of split up. So it was great to see when you guys finally got together. I know you, you know, you were injured for a little bit, so it was kind of Hawk on his own. And even WCW, when you briefly returned, you were kind of more in a managerial role. But when you guys started to make your comeback and started to come back, did you, were you thinking WWF the whole time? Or were you thinking, you know, we should go back, you know, contact Eric Bischoff and go to WCW first? No, nah, we were thinking WWF the whole time, man, because, I mean, when we came back, the reaction we were getting was like we never left. Hmm. And I said, wow, this is great. We should really do this. And <clears throat> I don't know, for whatever reason, they didn't want to do the thing with, when we got in there with Kane and Van Damme. I mean, the reaction we got proved that people still wanted to see us. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it, it, it just goes, goes by that today. I mean, I'm, I'm, I work every weekend because people want me to come in and take pictures and sign autographs and do all this sort of stuff. I mean, Hawk and I's fan following was probably second to none, you know. It's one thing we did. We never insulted the integrity of our fans. We always respected our fans and took care of our fans. Imagine uh, the Road Warriors today dominating the scene. I mean, that would be awesome. But I can't help but think the, you know, back at WCW, and even you guys wrestled them uh, when it was kind of the NWA slash WCW, but you guys made your brief return and finally met a team where, you know, you can match power for power, and that's the Steiner brothers. Did you enjoy working with Rick and Scotty? Yeah, it was it was good. I mean, <clears throat> you know, you got to understand, we, we did with them what we had to do for the wrestling business. I mean, both of them will tell you, I mean, when it comes to lifting weights, they didn't hold a stick to Hawk and I. I mean, we were, we were two of the definitely stronger guys, but they were two amateur wrestler guys, so it was a perfect match in our business. You know what I mean? You have two wrestlers against two street brawlers, so it worked out great. And, uh, yeah, they were good guys. You know, I, I love the Steiners are good, another good team that we just got to mention before, man. That was, I think, one of the better teams in wrestling. You know, for some reason, they just never got, you know, over, over. And I think that's just because, you know, Scotty wanted to go be a single, more or less, and they just kind of split up, you know, right after the short run in the NWA. When they got to WCW, he was already pop a pump, you know. Mm-hmm. It was like the perfect pairing, though, as far as like those stiff, hard-hitting matches where it's like, oh, my God, these four, you know, two monsters against the two amateur wrestlers that are so Oh, yeah, we beat the crap out of each other. Oh, yeah. yeah. We beat the crap out of each other all the time. And another awesome tag team kind of under the radar we mentioned before was the Sting and Luger pairing, and it was so interesting. I remember this vividly because it was so funny. They were talking about Chicago street fights and how you guys invented the Chicago street fights. And Luger was saying he was from Chicago, and Sting says, "Man, you're from the suburbs. You know, these guys are from the streets of Chicago." You, you know, looking back, did you like that thing with Sting and Luger? Because that was a lot of fun, you know, at, at that point in time. Well, it, it was hard because I don't know. If it was hard because Hawk and I were still pretty much so much babyface. Other than heel, I mean, we really, even though they turned us, we never really turned heel. Hmm. It was hard to work because we got standing ovation every time we went, we went against those guys, no matter where we went. So that's hard. It's a hard match to do. I mean, when the people like you, they like you. You know what I mean? You might as well not even fight it. 
Absolutely, and I remember vividly Luger gets pulled out of the match, so it's Booker and Sting against you and Hawk in a Chicago street fight at Uncensored. Mm-hmm. Where where did the, you know, quote-unquote Chicago street fight, where did that actually come from? I don't know, bro. I think that Chicago street fight thing's been around for years. I think I think whoever's in the match, if you're from New York, you call it a New York street fight. If we're from Chicago, they call it a Chicago street fight. <laughs> it, just, it, just, it just makes me as a match with no rules and Anything goes, pretty much. Such a cool, that, that, that was all Dusty's idea. Hmm. Definitely a cool concept. You know, looking back because you equate. Oh heck this. yeah, man! They were they were fun. We even had a couple great ones with. Uh, we did a Chicago Street Fight with Ahmed Johnson for WrestleMania in Chicago. Oh, another crazy one with an insane yeah. top. Yeah, nuts at the Rosemont Horizon. People, fans went absolutely crazy when our music played, you know. And you guys uh, But that whole but that whole show of you that whole show if you remember though, it didn't even matter what anybody else did on that whole card. It was about making the Undertaker that day. Hmm. Somehow or another Undertaker got involved in everything that anybody did. Did you think that, uh, you know, looking back now, did you think that that was the right decision looking at how great his career turned out and how he kind of became the, you know, the locker room leader of the company for many, many years? With Taker? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Taker's great. Taker's great. Hawk and I were there at the, at the birth of the Taker. If you remember, it was a Royal Rumble that day, and Hawk and I let Taker each grab us by the throat like he was going to choke slam us both, and then we broke it and double clothesline him over the top rope, but we could tell by the reaction when he did that to us, everybody went, ooh, you know, the whole arena. They never do that. It was almost like a Japanese match feeling. And uh, I, I, after the match, I said, boy, this guy's going to get over like a son of a gun, man. And he did. I mean, Taker, what a perfect guy for that gimmick. His longevity is just unbelievable how long he's been able to last in the wrestling business. But, you know, the, the longevity of LOD, and you guys kind of changed what you were doing when you went back to the WWF. Not so much in 97, but more so in 98 when they did that LOG 2000 thing. Did you like that whole thing with Draws and LOG 2000 and them kind of bringing up? No, I think they they did that as a backup with Hawk. They didn't know where Hawk's head was at. So they did that as a backup. That whole thing, that whole angle was so stupid. Um, You know, you you got the people, the people, the thing about the wrestling fans, man, is they could see right through anything. It's been, what, 33, 34 years, and everywhere I go, people bring up the most positive things because they still want to see me and they still want to meet and they still want to take pictures and put the spikes on and everything else. That goes to show you, man, that's longevity that I could probably do another 10 years if I wanted to, longevity that hardly anybody gets in this wrestling business. And the fans will be the first one to tell you if they like something or if they don't. And if they don't believe in it, they will fart on it in an instant. You know? Absolutely. And it's funny that you say that because the, the LOD is so popular. And obviously there are some things that the fans were just, you know, they just don't buy and they just don't like. Did you mind when you came back? Obviously, you know, Hawk has passed away and, and you get teamed with Heidenreich. Did you mind being paired with him or did you think that was a little bit of a stretch on their part as well? Well, I thought it was a stretch. I was just trying to be a businessman and do something for business. Because the LOD marquee was still hot. Man, it still sold a bunch of stuff, even though it was Heidenreich and I. And the people still believed it, even when we won WWE belts. 
I mean, but, you know, poor John was a loose cannon at the time, but uh, here he's doing well now. But I think, that you know, uh, it probably wasn't the best business move. If I had to do it all over again, I probably would have done it. But at the time, it seemed like the right thing to do. You know, I was trying to be a businessman. My ultimate goal for that company was to get back there, be an agent, or be a coach down at the camp. And that hasn't worked out. So, you know, a lot of the agreements that I had made with, you know, Vince and all that stuff and told him what my plans were after the wrestling business, you know, hasn't <clears throat> gotten to that level yet or, or probably never will because those guys, you know, as you know, they got their own little – it's no secret they got their own little click over there, so. Now, where does your brother, you know, Johnny H., Johnny Laurinaitis, people power, where does he, you know, fit into all of that? I have no I think he 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 went there with the merger, but he was the booker of WCW when Vince bought it out. And so Vince just bought out his contract and took Johnny over there with him. And then John did a good job with WWE. And um, I guess he was just on TV again tonight, I guess somebody said. So, or Monday on Raw or something. So, um you know he's uh he, he's good in that role. Um, if they're bringing him back on TV, it means they need him in that role for some reason. You know what I mean? Because everything what they're doing is not working. So then, then again, you're bringing back another guy who was over before, just like with the people power thing. John's a good businessman. He's great behind the scenes. He knows how to choreograph a match real well, and you know he's good for the business. Very funny that you mentioned that because. As I was watching, you know, Raw on Monday night, I'm thinking to myself, like, wow, I'm kind of surprised they brought him back. But there had been rumors that they were going to put him on TV again because of, you know, SmackDown's going live again. And obviously he was a great mm-hmm. manager and he was a great character for the show. But are you ever surprised, that you know, with his success on TV there? Because he became such, like, a, a major heat magnet. It was kind of a, a surprise, kind of out of nowhere. Yeah, I was surprised. But then again, where do you go from that when the guy who has got the most heat in the company is a manager? It should be the guy in the ring all the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? <clears throat> that when, when a manager is smart enough to get over more than the guy in the ring, there's an issue. And that that's a problem in the wrestling business. It should never be like that. The manager should be in it. Like, look at Lesnar and Heyman. Heyman's not more over than Lesnar. He's a great mouthpiece for him, for Lesnar, but he's not no more over than Brock, and that's the way it should be. And God, but hey, more power to John. He's like that with the people power thing, but, I mean, it should never be more over than the guy in the ring. Not, that's my opinion. You know, growing up with him, were you always like, you know, obviously he's a, a popular face, and we see always the heel, because it seems like you play that role so well, and he plays the role of the heel so well. Uh, no, not really. I was probably the other way, bro. I was probably the bully growing up. <laughs> yeah, I was probably I was probably more the real life bully that became an anti bully or a bully of the bullies. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting with your you know the family dynamic. You wouldn't like before I did meet many years ago. Before I realized you guys were related, I would have never guessed. You know, just looking at you guys, because he's kind of that clean cut look, and you know, you look like yeah, you're you're. Did you talk to you the wrong way? You know you're going to kill him. You know it's just funny thinking like of that family dynamic. Yeah, and you know a lot of people don't realize my brother Mark is one of the Terminators, Rage and Fury. Oh yes, yes. That was that was my youngest brother Mark. So we all kind of look different in our own way. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And you know what's interesting? Obviously, you know 
your son is is now donning the shoulder pads. I believe he's, he was the leading tackler for the Rams, and, and now he's on the Saints. But you think any possibility of him kind of donning the, the spiked shoulder pads and ever entering? <clears throat> you know, I don't know, man. I, I think it would work and be great, especially if someone like me were to be his manager or something. Um, I think the people would really believe that, or if I grabbed two guys from the NFL and brought them into wrestling. But uh, James is so financially secure, they would have to pay him a lot of money to do any wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if they can pay him as much to do what he needs to do. He, he really doesn't need to. I don't know. Well, as much as his body gets beat up every Sunday, I don't know if he wants to uh, to put himself through that stuff. <laughs> he point. can do it, though. He's a, na- he's a natural at it, though. He can do it. I mean, he's a real natural at it. So. No, he's an unbelievable linebacker and great uh, signing by the, the Saints. But as I start to wind it down here, I just was wondering this because we kind of touched on it before. So you got LOD, the Road Warriors, and you kind of mentioned the Wyatts and Bray Wyatt before and how great he is. But if you can match the Road Warriors up against any team today, who would it be? I mean, to be honest with you, bro, I don't think any team matches up with us. Hmm. I agree. You know what I mean? With our gimmick, we were just so much over-the-top killers that nobody – that was the problem we had in WWE when you had DX and everybody. Nobody – people didn't believe anybody could beat us. Godwin, DX, Earthquake and Typhoon, nobody. Like Earth, teams like Earthquake and Typhoon, when they're heels, they match up well because they're two big son-of-a-guns. You know what I mean? And people can relate to guys that big. People don't relate to muscle big, but they can relate, relate to humanity big. When a guy comes running at you at a 6'6", 500 pounds, people go, oh, Christ, they may be able to get the road warriors. You know what I mean? And that kind of concept. But um, I don't think any – I mean, I would love I mean, I would love to work with, with Bray Wyatt with those other two guys that are with him, the whole Wyatt family. That, that would be fun to do if we had Elder Ring as our manager hmm. and do six-man stuff. That would be great. I think that could have done great business. But I, I think besides that, I don't know if there's anybody – um, the problem is all the big guys have been abused. Like if you put Kane and Big Show together, they've both been slammed by a bunch of little guys their whole career, so they don't mean nothing now. You know what I mean? True. Like yeah. like Big Show, I think, still to this day, Big Show should have never been on his, off his feet yet. Slammed. Should have been like Andre. Wait till you're in a business for 25 years before you go off your feet. I don't. I definitely don't disagree with that. That's, you know, that's definitely true. And they kind of killed off Kane and the Big Show, who are you know legitimate seven foot yeah. monsters. <clears throat> now there's some rumor about Kane dressing up like Roman Reigns, copying his gimmick or something. I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah, that was a joke. I think they were just joking around saying that because uh, I guess they were showing me when he was a fake Diesel back in the day. I guess they were trying to say, <laughs> trying to say, yeah, uh, yeah. get to look like him or something. Yeah. Weird, weird. Weird rumors out there, but, you know, you've been a part of so many great tag team kind of generations. I mean, the prime of your career was like kind of the prime of tag team wrestling. What do you think, which promotion do you think had the best crop? Because obviously the NWA had so many amazing teams, but WCW had some, and then the WWF. What, you know, what was your favorite crop to work with? I think the NWA team was really the best guys to work with at the time. The WWF and then the, the era with uh, Earthquake and Typhoon was really good, too. That was probably the most fun of those two separate deals and, and where we had wrestling. Because people really believed what we were doing. 
<clears throat> you know, we sold it the right way, and you couldn't lift up and slam somebody like Earthquake or something. And when you finally did it, they went, holy crap, you know, that kind of stuff. And it, it meant more that way, you know. Definitely more of a sense of believability and realism back in, you know, your prime and back when you were wrestling as opposed to today where I think they have to kill each other kind of to get the pop that you guys would get with one clothesline. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and, and you don't have to do that. When you you get the people to believe. See, the problem is because they don't do enough squash matches on TV. <clears throat> you know what I mean? With guys that aren't top talent. You need to have somebody of the top talent go out there and have a six months, a year's worth of bam, hitting them with one big thing and the guy being dead. Then that move will start to mean something again. And then it'll mean something when you do it. Like if you're, if you're hitting a bunch of no names for six months and you kill them with a clothesline, then you go to hit somebody like a Cena and he kicks out, then it means something when he kicks out. You know, it's just, it's, it, I think we just, we've gotten so carried away. <clears throat> with the entertainment value of it, we're forgetting about what the business has been built on sometimes. Yeah, that realism, that sports entertainment versus pro wrestling thing is kind of getting a little too skewed now. We're definitely, we're missing the, you know, the good old days of the road warriors and even, the, you know, against the nasty boys when, you know, you're killing them and getting those monster pops. But do you have a favorite match looking back? I mean, there's so many, the name is so many possible. Maybe do you have a couple favorite matches? You know, I think the one with the Nasty Boys, the Masterwork Gardens, what I highlight, um, wrestling Tully and Arn in Chicago for the NWA belts where I got disqualified for throwing the referee over the top rope. Fans went absolutely nuts. Um, 92,000 people at SummerSlam at Wembley Stadium was crazy. Um, I wrestled the Beverly Brothers in a handicap two-on-one in Tokyo Dome. That was nuts. There's quite a few good ones, man. We, Hawk and I were lucky. We had 22 years of main events, you know, so it's really hard to choose one over another. But every one of them was a main event, so it was, was kind of cool. Hmm. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely timeless. That's what we could say about the Road Warriors. One thing we didn't touch on before I just I got one question about your legacy, but before we get into that, just all you mentioned the Beverly Brothers. We mentioned Crusher Khrushchev. We've obviously talked about Hawk. But we haven't mentioned Rick Rude or Kurt Henning, and obviously you guys go all the way back to Minnesota. Did you think that you guys being bouncers at, uh, at the same place, learned to become wrestlers, that you'd all end up being uh, such legends of professional wrestling? <clears throat> no, nah, man. If you think about it, you had Henning, myself, Hawk, Rick Rude, Nikita, Scott Norton, Barry Darso, and Nord the Berserker all worked out at the same gym. All those guys went to the same high school except for Hawk and I. I mean, Hawk and Norton went to the same high school, but I went to a neighboring high school, and those guys were all, like, three years older than I was. So, But anyway, yeah, man, we all worked out at the same gym, and, you know, Ed Sharkey, who trained Jesse the Body Ventura, was our bartender at the bar we worked at, and said he was going to start a wrestling camp. We all went, oh, crap, a wrestling school? Come on, Ed. And then we said, okay, we'll try it. You know, myself, I was actually training for a walk-on trial with the New Jersey Generals of the United States Football League at the time. I was training oh, wow. for a tryout, and I just, I went through the wrestling camp at the same time, and I took the wrestling thing because it came up first. Because, hmm. you know, football was my first love, and that's what I was trying to do. But, hey, man, it, it all worked out. <clears throat> that's why I do it today, bro. That's why I paint my face, and I, I bring the spiked shoulder pads. Uh, like, I'm going to be bringing them to Union there, and 
I get to see the fans. I get to take pictures, whether they want to buy an 8x10 or take a phone pick. They get to put on the spike shoulder pads. They get to relive a little bit of, of their childhood by putting on my pads, taking a photo with me. And that ends up being a great deal for, for, for the people of the state of New Jersey and, and all up and down the East Coast, wherever they're coming from for the event, man. It's going to be a great event. Absolutely. It's July 23rd. It's in Union, New Jersey. It's going to be a part of the WrestlePro event in Union, New Jersey that night, and the fans actually get to book the matches that night, and they'll be giving all the information when you get to the venue to pick, to pick those matches, but everybody will be spending some time with, uh, with Road Warrior Animal, and they'll be asking you the final question of the night, and that is, what is the legacy of Animal? What is the legacy of the Road Warriors when the book is closed on professional wrestling? Well, I think our legacy should be A, we gave the people their money's worth every time they came to pay to watch us perform, and B, to go down as the greatest tag team ever in the history of professional wrestling. I think I think that's a legacy we'll leave behind that I don't think anybody will break anytime soon, you know? Absolutely. Bar none. And, as I, and, be, and be, rem- be, remembered, be remembered for that consummate road warrior pop. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And there's no argument there. Best tag team ever. And if anybody has any questions about that, come see us uh, July 23rd, and then you can get your answer directly from the source. But Animal is a lot That's of fun. Right. That's right. And looking forward to it, and uh, we'll be talking to you very, very soon. Guys, like always, <clears throat> what a rush. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.